Welcome to Relentless Truth with John Warren, the podcast that extracts truth from a wide range of topics, revealing who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, here's John with this week's powerful and practical insights. Welcome to Relentless Truth. I'm John Warren. It's good to be with you again. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Please go to our website, johnwarrenmedia.com, for more information about our work. There's a tab on that website for our consulting firm, uh, CFS Financial, and you can learn more about that company and the work that we do with Christian organizations all over the country, some non-Christian organizations, some non-profit, mostly non-profit, and some for-profit on rare occasions. Uh, We work with companies on debt resolution and the like, all things strategic planning, governance related, and uh, uh, debt restructuring, and those sorts of things. It's Interesting, I talk a lot with my students about, well, in particular this week, and and then next semester we we talk about economics, but this week was about taxing and spending from our federal government, and and to to talk about that intelligently, you have to look at all these economic cycles, and uh, in the the context of uh, CFS Financial, my company, I, I think often about the struggles that businesses are having right now, particularly Christian organizations that have debt, nonprofits that have debt, because they're, they're even less desirable to banks uh, than, than ever, although banks don't say that. They, they, they generally are populated by very nice people who, who don't care to pick a fight or care to be insulting. And it, it just makes it challenging because they, these, these credits, these loans uh, secured by real estate for nonprofits are difficult from a regulatory standpoint, difficult for banks to have on their balance sheets. So don't hesitate to contact me at john at johnwarrenmedia.com if I can assist your company, your nonprofit. Uh, so uh, today, um, yeah, and, and and by the way, uh, I appreciate your comments, your your feedback on the podcast. The numbers are good. I'm thankful that uh, you listen, and uh, I, I hope that uh, this uh, series that we've been doing on the attributes of God has been helpful. We've we've worked in some other topics here and there. It has not been a smooth, you know, series where we start in the beginning and go all the way through. But I, I want to just talk about a, a couple of other, over the next few weeks, just a few other of, of the attributes of God. Uh, it, it has really been, I, I have to say, a, a convicting study for me. I'm uh, teaching a class at my church on this topic from, from a little bit of a different perspective than, than this podcast format allows. But very similarly, and it's just a it's just a convicting study. I I started preparing over the summer, and and the preparation becomes a little more intense each week for for each topic. But t- today we encounter the faithfulness of God, and that that is really an interesting topic. I I, I wonder what 
what we all think of. I'm, I'm just curious about this when we think of God's faithfulness. I, th- I think what what we think of is, I, I don't think it's terrible, I, I think, we, but we don't fully understand it. I, I know that one of the things I will say to people to encourage them when they present some calamity to me or 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 some they ask me to pray or they say I'm going through this I find myself fairly often saying well God is faithful or God will be faithful and that's true isn't it but that fact God's faithfulness in our difficulty is is beautiful for sure and and we're going to talk about that today but but it's it's just a a a, a small part of if I can say it that way God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness shows up many, many other ways, and we'll we'll talk about those. The word translated faithful in the Old Testament, and Hebrew scholars, forgive me, I'm going to just pronounce, I'm clumsily pronounce the English translation, immuna, which has the idea of firmness or fidelity or steadfastness or, or steadiness in the Old Testament. That is the word translating faith, translated faithful. And pistos, P-I-S-T-O-S, is kind of worthy of trust, trusty, or steadfast in the New Testament. And the negative A is added for unfaithful, apistos. So much like agonosko, uh, agonosko, uh, for, for not knowing in, in Romans 6. Do you not know? Paul, Paul says it, it's, it's, the, it's by adding the A to the beginning of of the word turns it into uh, the negative. So so faithful pistos, uh, unfaithful apistos. Well, you know the harsh reality, and and it is a harsh one when you hear it the first few times. Given given the way the evangelical church kind of looks at things today, kind of this. Uh, disguising the truth, hearts and rainbows approach. And I'm not criticizing positive people at all. I'm not criticizing happy churches. I think that's wonderful. But but we have to tell the truth. And, and, and we're not faithful as sinners, are we? We are not faithful people. I ask my students, my precious students, these students are special. These are, these are not your run-of-the-mill people. These, these are people who can lead. These are smart, smart young people. These are, these are talented young people. And I ask them at the beginning of the year, and I don't blurt it out quite this way, but I ask them, how many of you are liars? How many of you lie? How many of you have lied? Everybody raises their hand. They are aware of their depravity. And, and, and they, they know that, that we are not faithful as sinners. I think most people don't struggle with this. Most people understand depravity. They might not understand the level of depravity, but but they understand that we are not faithful as sinners, faithful to truth, faithful to our word, faithful to God, faithful to each other. Even our churches today are, are, are not faithful to scripture. And, and it pains me to beat that drum every week, but uh, we're not. We're not faithful to Scripture. Now, I'm not saying perfectly faithful to every detail. No, I'm not saying perfectly faithful to the mysteries of God uh, that are only partially disclosed, disclosed or referenced in Scripture. No, I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about the, to the clear essentials of the faith. The evangelical church is largely not faithful to Scripture 
on the matters that are the essentials of the faith. The gospel of Jesus Christ among those essentials, chief among those essentials, is watered down, is not clearly enunciated, is not clearly understood in the evangelical church. And you might be thinking, well, it is in my church. Well, good for you. That's terrific. Good for your church. I'm thankful that my church is clear on this matter as well. And there are many that are, but the vast majority are not. The vast majority go through this anthropomorphism where they they take human attributes, assign them to God, express God's attributes in human terms, and and think of God as as one of us. And, And he's clearly not. If you've been with us through this study, you know that. If you've studied scripture objectively, honestly, candidly, you know that. So it's funny, not funny, tragic that we don't connect truth, absolute truth, and faithfulness in our culture today. There's only one who is faithful, and we are unfaithful to Jesus Christ, to, to God. You don't hear much, if, if anything, about this attribute, unless, as I said earlier, it's designed to, to comfort people who are who are distressed with God is faithful or God will be faithful. Well, God is faithful with all things at all times. He's faithful regardless of our circumstances. He's faithful to himself, to his character. He loves himself too. He has to. He's faithful to all the traits that he has that that we're studying that comprise his essence. He's faithful to truth, perfectly faithful to truth. And we'll talk about that a little later today. He's faithful to his nature. He's he's completely reliable to be faithful, but he's completely reliable 100% of the time. He's never had an unfaithful moment or thought or action. He, he is faithful. When we sing that, that old hymn, and I hope you sing it in your church, Great is Thy Faithfulness, we should shout it. He, he is greater than we can imagine in his faithfulness. So, as I like to do, I, I'm going to tell you what, what, what I hope to convince you of, uh, what I believe Scripture convinces us of today. God is trustworthy or faithful to himself his essence, his attributes. Therefore, his promises can be relied upon. He is therefore steady and stable. Can you imagine a God who is not faithful, who's just a little unpredictable? God is not unpredictable. It might appear so because the world is unpredictable, but God is not. He is absolutely perfectly faithful. The second point we're going to be convinced of is that God is trustworthy or faithful to truth or reality. He is immutable as such. He is unchanging as such. I know that sounds like the same thing, but he is faithful to truth, to reality. That word faithful means, the word often translated faithful in scripture means loyal, steadfast, true to the facts, true to one's word, constant, steady, steadfast, So 
we'll we'll see the 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 work of the Holy Spirit in our and our effort together in our lesson today in this discussion today. So I want to jump right into a couple of passages of Scripture. I always read from the English Standard Version of Scripture. And I'm going to be reading Deuteronomy first, uh, an Old Testament passage, and then one from the New Testament, uh, Deuteronomy 7, 9 through 11. What, what has just happened, what, what, what just precedes this, just for context, because I don't want to be guilty of eisegesis, um, is, is that there's a section on God's loving covenant, God's, God's rescue of Israel from, from, from Egypt. So, so this, this passage really explains God's faithfulness. Listen to this. Know therefore, that word know is, is uh, you remember from our discussion of God's knowledge, it's that word yada, or if you're a Seinfeld fan, the yada yada. It's, uh, I think Lenny Bruce coined it, uh, that, that expression in a, one of his acts, and Jerry Seinfeld picked up on it, but it's a, a, a Yiddish expression that I think comes from this, this Hebrew word yada for to know. Uh, no, therefore, no, because of this, no, because of God's loving covenant with Israel, God's rescue of Israel from Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. That is the word Elohim, the supreme God. The Lord is the word for Jehovah. Jehovah, your Elohim is Elohim. Your, your, your Jehovah is supreme. Your Elohim is Elohim. Your the supreme God, the Lord, your God, your supreme God is God, is supreme God. You see, it's a, the redundancy for emphasis. And then he goes on the faithful God, the word L it's a, the implicit point here is more faithful than all gods, small G that really don't exist. The Lord, your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. Wow, there's a lot there. Who keeps covenant and steadfast love. That, that is, in fact, faithfulness, isn't it? With those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Now, there are those who read these kinds of references in Scripture and say, oh, okay, a thousand generations, a generation's about 30 years, so a thousand of those is 30,000 years, this was this was probably written at a certain time, maybe maybe um, in the sixteenth uh, century BC or seventeenth century BC. Some say seventh uh, century BC, but uh, I think it's sixteenth or seventeenth somewhere in there. And so they they start doing math and they say thirty thousand years from there will be at this time, and this is when the judgment is is going to occur. That that's that that really is stretching the the text. This is a metaphorical expression. It's not exactly like this, but it's akin to us saying not in a million years or something like that. So to a thousand generations, 
is is just a, a metaphorical reference for forever. It's not an eschatological find. So run from anyone who tries to pinpoint their eschatology based on some of these references to a thousand generations and replace their face those who hate him. You see, God's faithfulness, and I don't like talking about it in anthropomorphic terms, in, in human human attribute terms, but we kind of have to because that's what we're limited to in, in our language. But it's really a two-sided coin, and we see that in this passage. It's It really has to do with not just the good things God promises. He's faithful in those things, but he's faithful in his justice. He's faithful to all of his character, his wrath. He's faithful in judgment. And that's sobering, isn't it? He is faithful, firmly established, firm, faithful, steadfast. A.W. Pink said, God would not be God without faithfulness. This quality is essential to his being. God's faithfulness demands his, this is me talking now, not A.W. Pink, demands his discipline, his nurturing, and we'll see that today. His discipline and nurturing are also a blessing to us. We don't think of it that way, do we? We think those hearts and rainbows moments are the real blessings, but not the discipline and nurturing. I look back on my life, and I don't see this perfectly by any means, but I see God's nurturing, God's discipline, and, and I see the beauty in it. I bet many of you do as well. It's difficult for some of my students to see this because they're 16, 17 years old, but well, my prayer for them is that they'll see it over the course of their lives. Let's take a look just quickly at 2 Timothy. I promised you a New Testament passage. God, God can't violate his nature or, or, or be more like a man. That It's really important to understand that with all of his attributes. He'd be more like us if he was faithless, wouldn't he? Well, look at 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13. The saying is trustworthy, for if we died with him we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Now, I got really excited about this when I looked up the words here, the, the meaning of the words, the, the parts of speech. That word faithless, if we are faithless, apesteo, without faith, not having faith, no faith, that, that word is a verb, you know, simply means unbelieving or, or, or to betray or to be, to be unfaithful. It's an, it's an action word to, uh, for us. If we are, if we, if we are unfaithful, it, it's, it's translated really well. He remains faithful. That word is pistos. That's an adjective describing God. It means trusty or faithful or believing. So, and, and remains is a word, he remains faithful, called meno, M-E-N-O, a, a verb, has the idea of abiding or continuing in place. Remains is a really good way to translate it, but it's helpful to me to think of it as abiding. He abides in faithfulness. So, so we see how 
closely related, God's immutability, his being unchanging and faithfulness are related. He is faithful forever. He's as faithful today as he was 2,000 years ago when he sent his son to the cross. He's as faithful today as he was at the time of Noah or Moses or Jacob or any any pick pick the character pick the story god is faithful his faithfulness has not diminished whatsoever over time his attributes don't decay they don't lessen and he will be just as faithful as he is today as he was back then thousands billions trillions of years into the future, forever into the future. He's been that faithful through all eternity, past through eternity, future. That just gives me goosebumps. That's what a beauty, we can rest in him. But notice in 2 Timothy 2, what I just said, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. It's the use of the verb form to describe us. We, we with, with faith as something we do, and the adjective form of the same word modified by the word remains or abides to describe God, something he is or his attribute. That's interesting to me, that little bit of, of nuance. The implication here is that we're able to be faithful because he abides in faithfulness. And we see the princi- this principle again and again in Scripture. We can be faithful as we abide in Jesus Christ because he abides in faithfulness. Isaiah 11:5 Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. That word that's that word immuna, firmness, fidelity, steadfastness, steadiness. Here's the word again. Psalm 36:5 Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens and your faithfulness to the clouds. Scripture consistently and perpetually enforces the essence of God, including all of his attributes. They're all talked about together as part of the same essence. We didn't make that up when we started this series weeks ago. Genesis 8, 22, in God's covenant with Noah, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. His, he is faithful to his immutable promises. God's attributes are all necessary to fulfill his covenants, even his covenant with, with Noah, his covenant with Abraham. We see God's knowledge, God's power, God's immutability, God's grace, God's mercy, and so on. They are, they are combined with, they are one substance with, is a better way to say it, his faithfulness. Now, let's look at this. Let's just have a moment where we marvel at the beauty of, of, of Scripture here. Uh, Hebrews 10, I'm going to start in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, there's a whole lesson right there. We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, our great high priest. This is me talking now, not reading scripture. The great high priest, our great high priest, who gives us access to the Father. Now, Now, here's verse 20 by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest, great priest, sorry, 
over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Hmm. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast. Again, that's a, the, the verb form of the word. Let us hold fast. Let us be faithful. Let us be steady. Let us be steadfast. Hold fast. The confession or profession of our hope, the confession of our hope without wavering for or because he who promised is faithful. And there's that adjective form again. You see that? We can hold fast the profession of our hope without wavering. We don't waver. We're steadfast because he who promised is faithful. You remember we talked, oh, let, me read, let me read the last two verses here. And let us consider how to stir one, one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, the, these verses are connected. The, this, this meeting together mandate is to stir one, or, one another up to love and good works. But the because is, or the for, is because he who promised is faithful. Because God is faithful. Wow. The, the reason we are to meet together have fellowship together as believers is to stir one another to love and good works because God is faithful. Uh, we just don't think of it that way sometimes. So it, it is God's faithfulness. Look, notice in this passage in, in Hebrews that, that allows us, prompts us, enables us to hold fast or to be steady with the confession or profession of our hope. This is our great assurance. Our great assurance is based on his faithfulness. What what an anxiety reducer. He is faithful. And we don't just we don't just have to buy into that tenet. We don't we don't just we aren't just told, well, he's faithful. No, we know examples, many, 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 many examples. And even in our flesh, with our limited ability to see God clearly, we also see it in our own lives. And one of the reasons we need to spend time with other believers is because we need to tell each other about God's faithfulness. We need to talk about it. We need to stir up one another to love and good works because of his faithfulness. I, I, I grew up thinking, and I always say this, but I'm sure there were a lot of well-intended Bible teachers around me, but I grew up thinking, no, you just have to be good. The, the because part, I, I always wanted but I'm not sure I heard it. I certainly didn't understand it if I heard it. The because part is because he first loved us, because he is faithful, because of who God is. If we want to know, and I know I say these things clumsily, but if we want to, if we want to reduce our anxiety, we want to know that God is faithful. We want to, we want to live a life where we stir each other up, live a life characterized by love and good works. We don't just decide to do it. We focus on who God is for he who promised is faithful. That is clear. The book of Hebrews, I know it's, it can be hard to understand, but the beauty in that, in that book of the Bible is, is, is just beautiful. Well, the issue, the, the, uh, as we say sometimes, the elephant in the corner, 
is how, how do we how do we handle difficulties? How do we think about them correctly? Challenges. What do we do when friends fail us? What what do we do when people are unfaithful? How do we handle people who can't be relied on? In other words, even even brothers and sisters in Christ or family members or what about disastrous events and our desire to kind of harmonize them with God's gracious promises. Well, my prayer is that we would see, we would rest in God's faithfulness. This will be helpful to us to this end. The the passage we just read in Hebrews really says, let us be faithful because he is faithful. So I hope you're encouraged by this as I am. There's a couple of verses. There are a couple of verses in Psalm 119. Well, there are a bunch of verses in Psalm 119 that that just scream this truth to us, shout it to us. Psalm 119, verse 137, Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. You have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. There's our word, immuna, again. It's the firmness, fidelity, steadfastness, steadiness. You have appointed your testimonies in righteousness, moral rightness, moral right standing, very similar word to justice, and in all faithfulness. Well, there are a number of implications, and we'll make this a quick review here for all of us. There are a number of implications of God's faithfulness. God, first, God is is faithful in preserving his people. First uh, Corinthians 4 says, I, uh, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you, Paul is saying, of the, of the grace that, that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge. Here, here, here are some other, other attributes. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Wow, that verse eight, who will sustain you to the end. Not not who will temporarily sustain you, but who will sustain you to the end. He will sustain us. He is not reliant on us. His faithfulness is promised to us. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I'm reading again from 1 Corinthians 1, and there at the end, who will sustain you is the beginning of verse 8. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God is faithful. Psalm 119, again, verse 75. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Wow. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. How, how cool is that? I mean, it just is. 
In, I want to be at the point where I say, Lord, in your faithfulness, you have afflicted me. And then I want to think of God's steadfast love. I want to think of his afflicting me and his steadfast love in the same breath. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. And then down a little further in verse 30, well, actually, I'm looking now quickly at Psalm 89. I'm, I'm moving fast here down in verse 30 of Psalm 89. If his children forsake my law, and he's talking about David again, and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. Wow, punishment, tra- uh, punishing transgression and faithfulness and steadfast love again in the same breath. The same section of scripture. I will not violate, verse 34, I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. His throne, as long as the sun before me, like the moon, it shall be established forever, a faithful witness in the skies, a confirmed, established witness. God is faithful in glorifying his people. We see that in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who call, He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. We also see our future glory in Romans 8, a section of scripture that we talk about a lot. I would challenge you just just read read Romans 8 thinking about looking for God's faithfulness. Another thought on God's faithfulness is our faith in God's faithfulness. That the, there's a section in 1 Peter 4 that is just beautiful. You might want to start in 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 verse 12. It says but beloved do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as, you've, as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of god and if it begins with us what shall be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of god and if righteous if the righteous is scarcely saved what will become of the ungodly and of the sinner therefore let those who suffer according to god's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good here it is the sooner we trustfully resign ourselves and our concerns to God, the sooner we will be satisfied with his will and recognize that he does all things well. God is glorified when we are satisfied with his will, recognizing his his goodness. There, there's a section, I just want to touch on this, in, in, in Romans 3 that is just so beautiful. What then? Paul's been talking about the the person in chapter two who says the judaizer who says i can be good enough and he says well here's here's what your life would have to look like you'd have to be perfect and he's talking to the jewish people the judaizers the people who wanted to 
to they, they rejected Jesus as the Messiah and wanted the Gentiles to be circumcised, wanted everyone who professed to be a Christian to comply with the Mosaic law. And he says, what then what advantage has the Jew in, in Romans 3, 1? Or, or what is the value of circumcision? And he says, much in every way. There's a lot of value in this. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. They were, they were entrusted with God's word, God's inspired word. That's a big deal. Verse three, what if some were unfaithful? Apistos, does their faithlessness, the verb form again, nullify the faithfulness, now the noun form, pistis, of God? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? Does it mean God is not faithful? Paul says, by no means, may it never be. Let God be true. Though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you're judged. Paul is saying that they won't escape judgment just because they're Jews, among other things. He's answering whether God will continue to be faithful to his covenant even though the people to whom he has formed a covenant relationship with have rejected this bond by their sin. Oh, there's just so much truth here. I, 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 let me give you another one to read. So read Romans 8 and then read Psalm 51. It is David's prayer of confession. God shows his faithfulness by turning against sin. In Christ, we're rescued from this judgment, but understanding the gospel starts with knowing that our holy God cannot be faithful to his word without finding a way, pardon my anthropomorphism, but finding a way to judge our sin. Proclaiming God's wrath is part of the gospel. God's wrath, grace, mercy, love, and other attributes are all part of his faithfulness, and his faithfulness is part of all of his other attributes. They're one substance, one essence. Our study of God's faithfulness enforces the truth that he is one essence. Oh, it talks about in in Psalm 51, his steadfast love. That is his faithfulness. You know what David says at the end? Uh, I'll do the the spoiler for you since I'm not reading at all. I just want to jump right to the end. Restore, verse 12, this this whole confession uh, and repentance stops here. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. There are more weighty principles packed into this prayer of David than than, than obviously than we have time to, to talk about here. But read it on your own, Psalm 51. You know, we can see that David knows God's character. He knew God. That's what I'm challenging all of us, including myself, to do. Know God. As we see his faithfulness, we are then able to love and to be faithful to each other, faithful to his word. You see that David's repenting here, and he understands and trusts in God's faithfulness. We learn a lot about who David really is in this prayer of repentance. The biblical pattern of repentance here is that God's promises can be relied on, and as we repent, then we're able to teach. And the discipleship model says that, that it's really explained here, God's, God's work in, in repentance, his, his renewing, restoring work in us results in his using us to teach others who will similarly return to him and then be used as teachers. This discipleship model is just beautiful. 
Another point uh, with respect to God's faithfulness is he's faithful even when we're tempted. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. That's the adjective form of pistos again. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Then 1 Corinthians, the next verse, 10, 14, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. God is faithful to truth, finally. God's truth is beautiful. He has disclosed truth in Scripture. It's, it's reality, veracity. Ontology is, is the philosophical word for the, the study of truth. It's a branch of metaphysics. Ontology is the study of truth. Truth is entirely consistent with the mind, the will, glory and being, nature and essence of God. Truth is divine. Well, we're going to have to leave it for uh, at that today. I'm, I'm grateful that you've uh, listened to this episode. I hope you've been encouraged. This is the truth about God's faithfulness is anxiety reducing. So I hope you'll like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can go to our website, johnwarrenmedia.com for more information. Send along an email to me if you'd like using our contact form or send an email directly to me at john at johnwarrenmedia.com. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas through johnwarrenmedia.com or at John Warren Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren.